Welcome back to Silent Exposure. I am your host, Mitchell Krausen, and this is Exposure 118. We are diving into the impacts of the NIL name, image, and likeness, and then also the transfer portal. Now, these are two separate things, but they have come become intertwined with each other, really, and with how big and how unregulated NAL is, and then now with these a couple new rules with the transfer portal, guys can jump in and out of programs, get money here, get money there. It's changed the sport completely, and we still have a long way to go. We are in the midst of a huge transition in college football, amateur athletes, and this is just the tip of the iceberg, so let's go ahead and jump on in. So to start this off, we know that NIL and with what the transfer portal has become are both relatively new things or new developments in college football, really whatever you want to call it. But the point is NIL has only been around now for a couple seasons. And with the transfer portal, this hasn't been something where in the past it's been utilized as frequently. You could look at this off season as an example, and you could look at Ryan day, right? Ohio state, the top five college football program, Ryan Day would come out, and he's not the only coach that would say this. Other coaches would say this, but they say, look, every day we look at the transfer portal, there was someone new in there. And it's gotten to the point where it's so bad, players are leaving and jumping ship so quickly, it's kind of referred to as college football free agency. Now, with the transfer portal, the big name that made it known, hey, you can leave and go somewhere else and be very successful is Joe Burrow, obviously. Now, he played for Ohio State, and when he transferred to LSU, he was a graduate transfer. So at that point in time, if you wanted to transfer schools and be immediately eligible, you had to be either a grad transfer, or if you were not a grad transfer, you had to apply and be granted a hardship waiver by the NCAA. So Joe Burrow graduates from Ohio State in three years, enters the transfer portal and picks LSU, and he plays there for one season in 2018 before coming back to LSU again for his 2019 season. And then we all know it blows up. They have the magical season, maybe the best season ever, national championship, Heisman Trophy, etc. So Joe Burrow showed us, look, you can just ride the bench at a big time program. You can leave. You can utilize this tool, which is what the transfer portal is. It's a tool for the athletes. Go somewhere else. Get an opportunity to not only play, but maybe start. And you can see how well. It worked for Joe. Now, everybody is everybody going to have that same level of success? No. But the point is, Joe showed that it's possible. Now, the flip side of that, the hardship waiver, Justin Fields used that when he left Georgia for Ohio State. You can dig into that if you wanted. I think there were some articles written about some racist comments thrown at him when he was at a football game. Long story short... That was what you had to do if you wanted to transfer schools, be immediately eligible, and you were not a grad transfer. Now, currently, present day, these football players all get one transfer where you don't have to be a grad transfer. You don't have to apply for a hardship waiver. You get one transfer, and you are immediately eligible to play. So it's really just kind of like a safety valve for a lot of these guys. Now, with NIL being such a huge draw, to a lot of these programs like Texas A&M, who essentially bought their way to the number one recruiting class in the year of 2022. We'll get it into that a little bit later. But a program like that, if you are a high school athlete, A&M and their head coach Jimbo Fisher walks up to you and says, look, 
We want you to come to our program. We'll give you a million dollars in an NAL offering. You are almost easily inclined to say yes, and you know in the back of your head, look, if it's not working, if I'm not getting any playing time, or if I realized I made a mistake, I can use my one-time transfer, go somewhere else, and be immediately eligible to play. So I just wanted to premise that, and NIL and the transfer portal really do feel hand-in-hand hand right now, and it's just a, such a huge tool, whether you like it or not. It's a tool for the student-athletes, namely the football players, which is what all this is centered around. And without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into the NIL details. So what is now a mix of state laws and NCAA rule changes, collegiate athletes can now profit off of their name, image, and likeness, whether this be appearing in a commercial, in uh, endorsements, getting paid to sign autographs, running summer camps. There are so many opportunities out there for these college athletes. Now, in May of this year, the NCAA Division I Board of Directors published new guidelines specifically pertaining to boosters, saying that the boosters cannot have any contact with the athlete themselves, their family members, or representatives. And according to ESPN, a group of athletic directors and conference commissioners were tasked with the review of what is the ever-so-evolving market for collegiate athletes. Officially, the NCAA updated their rules last summer to allow collegiate athletes to benefit from their name, image, and likeness. Remember, the NCAA was behind the jump from the get-go. The local legislation and government had to step in first to really get the ball rolling on this. And the NCAA really screwed this up. I mean, they had a ton of time to just stay ahead of this. Everybody, local governments, the public, the media, and the NCAA knew that this moment in time was coming. They had time to at least prepare for it or try to stay ahead of it, and they completely screwed it up. It's actually incredible how bad... They effed it up. But now we're at a point where there's not zero regulation, but it feels like there's zero regulation. And NIL is like the Wild West. Programs are making NIL promises and buying athletes. Some programs are doing it. Some programs aren't doing it. And it's kind of like, well, if you can't beat them, join them. But you don't want to do the wrong thing and then get caught. There's a lot of gray area surrounding NIL. Some programs, like Texas A&M, just don't give a fuck. And some programs like Ohio State, another top five program, wants to do the quote unquote the right thing. But they know that if they do the right thing too much, they could easily be left behind while these other programs are just running rampant during a time where the NCAA is scrambling trying to figure out, okay, what can we do to regulate this? But the talk around the boosters has been part of this gray area and a program like Texas A&M is is totally relatable to this part about boosters because A&M has deep pockets they're a big time program they have boosters that have oil money that is a huge difference which separates that program from an Ohio State maybe who also has money and has boosters with fairly deep pockets but A&M and oil money makes a huge difference they essentially it seems like bought their way to the number one recruiting class for the year of 2022. And so with the NCAA updating their rules last summer to not only allow for NAL, but now they're consistently trying to clarify what boosters can and can't do. This isn't really a new rule. It's just the NCAA trying to do something to help clarify and define the booster. 
So the water is just really murky. It's a gray area, and the NCAA isn't even really enforcing any of these rules. Now, technically, the NCAA does reserve the right to pursue sanctions against NIL violations that have been committed since the NCAA signed NIL into their law last summer. Now, are they going to go back and start digging into a program that may have committed NIL violations? No, probably not. And I think most people think that they won't do that, partly because the present day in the future is not only so screwed up right now, but it could be even worse then. They are just trying to get their feet underneath them. So it's like, learn how to walk first. And then if you really wanted to be that guy and look back in the past, you could. But deal with the present day first. Quit falling behind and deal with the modern world first and foremost. Now, if something came up that was obviously blatant and something that they couldn't disregard, would they go back and take care of it? Yes, they would. But I think... There's so much gray area. If something came up, a program like A&M who maybe had a booster that flat out paid for a high school athlete to come to their program, the gray area, the lack of regulation, there are loopholes around it. And so I think the NCAA is really at a tough spot if they were to try to pursue sanctions against a program like that. But ultimately, part of this clarification, which is important, is that a school or athletic program cannot offer NIL opportunities to recruits or potential recruits or whoever. You have to have outside boosters or collectives set that up that aren't directly related to the program. Now, again, the boosters cannot be contacting these guys directly. Is that happening? Yes, I think it is. Are they keeping it under the table? Sure. Has it been happening before NIL became a thing? Yes, I'm sure it has. But this is the NCAA just trying to regulate it and slowly trying to work their way into this being a positive, successful change in college football. But ultimately, if you're a top five program, you need to have some sort of NIL collective or collectives set up, not within your athletic department because it's not the university giving out money or NIL opportunities. It's a third party that's giving this out. So let's look at Ohio State as one example. They are a top five program. They have a lot of money and they have multiple NAL collectives set up. Now, last week at the time that we were recording this, it's been about a week since Ryan Day, Ohio State's head coach, held a panel speaking to local businesses in Columbus. And he put a number on what it's going to take to keep a top five college football program intact. And he said it's going to take $13 million in NIL offerings. He also goes in to add some color saying, if you want a big-time quarterback in today's market, that's going to cost $2 million. And if you want a big-time offensive tackle or edge rusher, that's going to cost a million dollars. And that's just Ohio State trying to keep up with the flow of traffic. Ryan Day used the analogy of if the speed limit is 45 and you're just going 45, you're going to get passed up. But if you're going too fast... If you're going 60 miles an hour, then you risk getting pulled over. So a program like Texas A&M, who feels like they're just flying through and handing out money, technically they're putting themselves at more of a risk at getting NCAA violations or sanctions because they are just throwing money out there and seeing what sticks. Versus Ohio State, you don't want to be in the spotlight and risk getting pulled over, but you can't go slow. So they're trying to just keep up with the flow of traffic and ride that fine line. So let's talk about these two 
collectives that Ohio State has set up for NAL. Or I shouldn't say Ohio State because technically it's not them setting it up. But outside third parties who have set this up. So per an article written by 11 Warriors, there are two collectives. The first collective is called The Foundation. It is a collective co-founded by former Ohio State quarterback Cardiel Jones and local real estate executive Brian Schottenstein, launched on March 31st. Other members of The Foundation's board include former OSD football coach Urban Meyer, football players JT Barrett, Terry McLaurin, and Will Allen, and basketball star D'Angelo Russell, amongst others. Now let's go to the second NAL collective, the Cohesion Foundation, which is a collective founded by former Ohio State walk-on wide receiver Gary Marcinic, launched on April 12th. And the Cohesion's board includes former OSU players Zach Boren, Adam Griffin, and Jeff Hireman, and then also professional golfer Gary Nicholas and Gary Nicholas's more famous fathers, Ohio State legends Archie Griffin, Jack Nicholas, are also among the collective supporters. So... If you are an Ohio State fan, you have some big names in both of these collectives. I wouldn't say one is necessarily better than the other, but for a big-time program, it's important to have multiple opportunities that you can provide to these recruits. Now, the collectives are separate. They do not support each other. And the most important thing is they are not operated or run by Ohio State. As long as there is no actual transaction that takes place, recruits and other potential Ohio State athletes can be educated about what these collectives can do for them. So, and that's part of what the going market is right now for big time collegiate athletes is when you are an Ohio State head coach and you're calling a recruit and you're gathering their interest and you're talking up their program, part of the questions that they're now asking you is, well, what kind of NIL opportunities can I get here? And Ryan Day even alerted to that in that panel when he spoke to local businesses in Columbus last week, saying, look, we have the top safety in the country that is interested in Ohio State, but he's also interested in NIL, and specifically he's interested in what kind of real estate NIL opportunity he can get. Now, Ryan Day in that scenario couldn't say, well, here's what we can do. He can't say that because these NIL collectives are separate from the Ohio State University football program and athletic department now how he goes about that is probably up to ryan day if he says oh we have two foundations outside outside of the athletic department here's what they are or if he just automatically refers to them and says you know what that's just not our jurisdiction we can't talk about it but i can refer you to someone that is part of that gray area that ohio state is trying to make sure that they aren't going too far one way or the other versus a program maybe in the south that doesn't really care about rules or lack of regulation or breaking rules could say look here's the deal i promise you you'll get three million dollars in nal offering if you commit it's just a different world with different programs now is a program like ohio state extremely far behind or even that far behind at all in nal no they're not and actually according to football scoop who wrote a piece about this in January 2022, Ohio State claimed the number one ranking in NIL earnings for the previous season. Now, we know that this is no longer going to be the case since Texas A&M did buy their way to the number one recruiting class for 2022. But at that time, Ohio State had claimed nearly $3 million in NIL earnings. 
So Ohio State fans, you don't need this to really keep you up at night. Is it something to be mindful about? And is Ryan Day concerned? And is the Ohio State Athletic Director Gene Smith concerned? Yes. And I think that's a big reason why they held that panel because I don't think Ohio State has one big-time booster that can just drop a couple million and say, here you go, do what you need to do with this. Now, could a program like USC or Texas or Texas A&M have a booster that could do that? I think it's much more likely that one of those programs have it, just with the Hollywood and celebrities and the money in L.A. versus the oil money. So it's possible they could do that. But Ohio State, they have boosters with fairly deep pockets. But do they have a guy that's going to foot this $13 million bill? No, not going to happen. Ohio State has money. They are a top five program, so they will probably be fine. But they can run into trouble when they're trying to keep up with the South, with the Big 12, with USC, with these programs that may not care about this gray area regulation breaking regulation, breaking rules, etc. And if they have the money, or even more money coming from a certain handful of boosters that are extremely well off, it can put a program like Ohio State in a very tough position to compete for recruits. So I think one question a lot of people have is how exactly can college athletes make money? And this is very interesting. I found a tweet from Ross Dellinger in August of 2021 which shared data with Sports Illustrated Now, specifically sharing the numbers from July 2021. So this is one of the early months into NIL. Here's what we got. 88% of all NIL transactions in July of 2021 were from social media. And I think that's partly due to the fact that that is a really easy start for companies or people that want to get in and support athletes in terms of NAL, but it's also easy for the athlete. You give a shout out on social media, a sponsored post endorsement. Hey, you know, bang energy or Red Bull or something like that. Gatorade, whatever. It's really easy to go the social media route. Now, during that month of July, one unnamed athlete earned $210,000 just for that month. We don't know who that athlete is, but that is the most anybody or any one athlete earned. The average amount earned was $471. So most people really aren't making that much. Now, is it nice to pull in damn near 500 bucks per month off the bat when NAL is put into place? Sure, that's not a bad way to get a little bit of extra cash. But it's not like right off the bat a ton of these guys were making a crazy amount of money. And what's even more interesting is how does this compare across Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three, And then even specifically, what sports does this impact the most? What other sports are even getting any money in terms of NAL? So let's start with the divisions. Division One, we just talked about that, $210 max for the month of July with a $471 average. Work our way down to Division Two. There's a clear gap here. The most anybody made for the month of July at a Division II program was $750 with an average $81. And then to go even further, Division III, $50 was the max with the average being $47. So clearly quite the jump from Division III, Division II, all the way up to Division I. Now, now other than social media promotion, what else occurred? 
Well, there was some licensing. There were some signed autograph sessions. There was some other marketing appearances. Some guys were creating content. Some people were hosting camps. And then some athletes were actually selling product. As we've already mentioned, social media tends to be the more popular route. Now, if you look at the NAL market share by sport for the month of July, this is to really no surprise, but football took up 79% of all NIL gener generated revenue. Men's basketball was second at 9.6%. Not surprising that it's football number one and men's basketball number two, but I do think it's a little bit shocking to see just how separate, how far apart those two numbers are. Football is damn near 80%, and men's basketball wasn't even at 10%. And the third sport that generated the most revenue was actually women's volleyball at 5.5%. So that gap between men's basketball at 9.6 and women's volleyball at 5.5% really is not that big. And then we have a handful of other programs here. So men's lacrosse, men's golf, softball, women's track and field, wrestling, women's tennis, women's golf, in all other sports combined for 5.9%. So obviously a very small transaction, but to no surprise, with all due respect to men's lacrosse, men's golf, wrestling, women's tennis, etc., there aren't going to be many lucrative NIL deals for these guys. So clearly to no surprise at all, this is just mainly centered around football and then I guess men's basketball. Now men's basketball... I imagine it will be a little bit more, especially with March Madness and how big of a spectacle that is. But for the most part, football brings in so much money. It's the premier collegiate sport. This really feels mainly what NIL is for, is for football. So I want to end with this segment with what I've seen on Twitter recently. Ohio State quarterback CJ Stroud and his lucrative NIL deal that he has with one of the, or if not the, luxury exotic automobile dealer in Canton, Ohio. So this has really gone viral on Twitter the last couple of days. But originally it was reported that CJ Stroud signed this NAL deal with this dealership and he had chosen a Bentley for his NAL deal. Now, there have since been new reports that have surfaced that said actually CJ Stroud chose a $200,000 Mercedes G-Wagon instead of a Bentley for this deal. And as part of this deal, he gets to swap out cars every 45 days. Now, he isn't the only one in the country that has a deal like this. Off the top, the top of my head, I know that Texas running back B. John Robinson, I believe he has a deal with Lamborghini. So it's not odd to have this, but at this point, why would you not just take the money? Now, you could say, look, Ryan Day's comments last week where he said the current market right now for a big-time quarterback is $2 million. A $200,000 car is just a fraction of what C.J. Stroud should or could potentially earn this year in NIL offering. So if he's getting $1.8 million in cash, maybe he's like, you know what, that's enough cash for me. I'll, I'll take a $200,000 Mercedes G-Wagon for a month and a half before I swap it out for maybe a Bentley or for some other luxury vehicle. Now, is this a bad thing? No. Like, like these guys, especially somebody like CJ Stroud, unless, God forbid, some major injury or something weird, he, he's going to be 
the first or second pick in the NFL draft next year. And with that comes a fat signing bonus. He's going to be a millionaire. It's going to have a lot of guaranteed money. He'd be able to buy a car like this easily. So he gets a car like this a year early. Big deal. These guys should be able to capitalize off of the money that, that they bring in to the university. It's just a ridiculous concept to wrap your head around the fact that these guys are just, ah, every 45 days I get a new luxury vehicle, whatever. And this is just a fraction of what my NIL earnings could be. It really goes to show how fast and how ridiculous the current market is. Okay, that is going to wrap it up for this week's episode of SE. You can follow us and stay up to date with what we're doing on our social medias at Sideline Exposure on TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram, and at Sideline Exposed on Twitter. Stay tuned for more content coming your way every Sunday. Thank you for listening, and as always, go Bucks.